Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Cheryl Brown Merriweather. She is the co-founder, vice president, and executive director of the International Center for Addiction and Recovery Education, ICARE. Cheryl Brown Merriweather brings over two decades of experience in corporate HR management at AT AT&T Addiction Recovery Awareness and Adult Education to the International Center of Addiction and Recovery Education. As a VP and Executive Director, she oversees and directs the administration operations and student support services for iCare's three divisions, Strategic Sobriety Workforce Solutions, International Association of Professional Recovery Coaches, and NET Institute. So today, Cheryl is going to bring her expertise as an addiction and recovery education expert. She's going to talk about addiction and the workplace and how the workplace can become a space for people to get good information about addiction recovery and a safe place to talk about addiction, recovery, and mental health. And she's going to talk about how she helps organizations incorporate that into their workplace culture and some of the challenges in doing that. As so many of my guests, I loved talking to Cheryl. She was passionate about this work, knows what she's talking about, and shares that with all of you. So I hope you get a lot out of it. And if you're getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you're getting your podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. That means a lot to me. And um, I do read them. Thank you. I think we're over 400 reviews, which is still mind boggling to me, but that's amazing. And I'm super excited about that. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest is Cheryl Brown Merriweather, and we are going to talk about innovations in the workplace around addiction, addiction treatment, addiction help, addiction support, all of that from a workplace perspective and a human relations perspective. So, Cheryl, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Okay. I'm, first of all, so grateful to you for giving me the gift of your time today to talk about these very important subjects. So a little bit about me. I introduce myself by saying I wear a couple of different hats. So I am a recovery support professional. Lots of certifications, lots of years of experience working with clinical professionals in addiction and recovery support services. And I'm also an HR professional. So I'm certified and I'm qualified and I teach HR. So I've got years, actually decades, don't tell anybody, of experience working in in the corporate space as a manager as an HR professional, as a, tr- I'm also an adult educator. So I'm very involved in this awesome space right now where I can use education programs to help non-clinical folks, people in the workplace, HR folks. I can help them understand this mysterious and scary thing called addiction and substance use disorder and recovery because it's not 
the type of subject that is typically comfortable right. to be talked about in the workplace, but I have an opportunity to help bridge the gap and break the silence and reduce the stigma and, um, you know, change the whole perspective around these things in the workplace. So that's what I'm eager to share with your listeners. That, that's great, because I, I think that, as we know, addiction impacts everyone, all walks of life, all income spectrums everywhere. And I imagine the workplace is a place that is definitely impacted by addiction, but also like, as you're saying, an opportunity for recovery, healing, or maybe, maybe even the the first place that somebody might actually start to get help. Mm-hmm. You bet. And the problem is not a new problem. It's all, wherever you have people, you have substances that are sometimes maybe used to provide pleasure and also help alleviate pain. So, you know, it's not a new problem. There's some interesting statistics. Of course, there's legal substances and illegal substances, and then there are behaviors that people can gravitate toward to excess to the point where they lose control. So, These are not new problems for the workplace, but what is new is that now people are more willing to learn about it and talk about it and break the silence about it. Real quick, a couple of interesting statistics, and these are federal government stats. About 70% of folks that are using illicit drugs are employed in the workplace, either full or part-time, and there's Somewhere in the neighborhood of 23, 24 million people in the United States that are in recovery. And guess what? They're in the workplace. So right. we've got people who are using in the workplace, people who are in recovery in the workplace, but there nobody dares open their mouth and talk about their lived experience with these things or how do you ask for help. If not for yourself, but for a loved one or a family member or even a coworker, it's just the, the it's taboo. Right. We're, we don't talk about this in the workplace, sadly, until somebody crashes and burns and then HR gets involved and sends them off to an EAP service provider or to treatment or something, or they just fire them, you know, but we really desperately want now to and should have always desired to support our high-value talent in the workplace with the services that they need. So we're trying to help facilitate that. Yeah, and it sounds like that, like you said, there's all these people in recovery, there's people struggling with addiction, and they're all in the workforce, they're all there, yet you know, it's, it's, we don't talk about it. We're not going to say anything about it. And then, you know, my belief is, is if we're not going to talk about it, you can't get help. You can't get support. You can't, you know, stop it before somebody crashes and burns, maybe get the support before that happens. And if it's an open topic and it's safe to talk about, then that's a possibility. But I would imagine for a lot of workers who might be struggling to say anything is, is really scary because, you know, if I say something, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to have employment. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. Yep. And that's what is the norm. And 
we're just living in a time where things are changing. <laughs> it's transformation right. all over the place. And some of this is generational. We have a, a younger workforce now that sees things through a different lens. You know, I'm old enough to remember the unspoken rules, and sometimes they were spoken. You leave your personal life outside the door when you come to work, and, you know, things that go on at work you're not always supposed to talk about at home. But it is changing now, We we and this is, I see, as a very positive thing. You have people who want to talk about issues that affect them, whether it, these are political things, these are social, economic, environmental, there's things going on in the world that people want to talk about. And guess what? Particularly with the remote workplace now, the line between what you have in your personal life and the, and the workplace, those lines are disappearing. So the, the work goes with us everywhere and the personal goes with us everywhere. And many people now want to talk about these things. And so there's a lot that's happening to help support that in the workplace. I am a member of the Society for Human Resource Management and our leadership has encouraged managers to grow their skills, if you will, to help facilitate safety in the workplace and conversations that are valuable to the employees. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, so educating these people in positions of uh, who are employing people or, or yeah. in management positions to understand addiction, yeah. what it is, how to yeah. respond, how to help somebody. Yeah. Take away the stigma. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And there's so much now that supports that. And a little bit of what we're doing is you might say it's groundbreaking where we're, we're helping both groups learn to speak to one another using the same language. So psychological safety, for example, is a term that's very much used in the workplace. High-performing organizations like Google talk about creating psychological safety in the workplace where people can share and not be afraid of judgment if they make a mistake or come up with an idea. Somebody thinks it's stupid. Let's create safety in the workplace so that people are not afraid to speak openly. Well, we can apply that same thinking and that same best practice when it comes to the topic of substance use disorder, mental health, behavioral health issues. There are diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in the workplace that create that safety and invite individuals to bring their whole self to work, their lived experience with them. There are affinity groups that companies form for people who have shared interests. So it can be people of common race, background, socioeconomic status, cause, we Habitat for Humanity, yay, breast cancer walk, yay. Well, guess what? Let's expand that umbrella and use what is already there 
to create an environment where people who have shared interests around these topics, substance use disorder, mental health, behavioral health, that they can come together and say, let's learn together. Let's let's bring in some initiatives, right. some, some activities, some people to talk about these things. And companies are doing it. And that's why I'm so grateful to be able to share because people will say, no way, that's not going to happen. And I have some amazing examples of companies that are doing it. So it, it's a growing trend. So I, I I hear what you're saying, which is very exciting, like to be able to bring this to everybody out there and and mm-hmm. and include it in all of these other things, yeah, and make it part of that. And and what you said earlier that kind of struck me is that understanding that yes, there's a a work life balance and separation, but the reality is is we're one human being that brings our whole self to wherever we go, yeah. and you can't just turn off something like addiction or a mental health issue when you go to work or vice versa. And really we have to have this all together as a, as a unit to help us as a whole person. Right. And it begins with awareness and, and learning about this mysterious thing to and those baby steps will help break the stigma, remove the fear there's a lot of misinformation. How often do we hear that term these days? There's a lot of misinformation about this thing. And so we're, our goal is to just, you know, break the silence, if you will, and take the first steps to identify what we call recovery champions, recovery allies, all it really takes is one individual who has a heart or passion for this topic to begin to make inroads. And I'll share a real quick example with you. As I write about these things and talk about these things, and thank you for creating the opportunity for me to do that today, I get calls from people and one individual with one very large company, I won't name them, but he said to me, our company is, because of the economy, you know, we're, our workload is reduced and they don't want to lay people off. So they asked us to create some, you know, groups or causes that we could support. And he said, I'm looking around at all these groups. He said, I am an individual in long-term recovery. I've been in recovery for 13 years. He said, and there's no groups in our company for employees who have similar life experience as I do, but then I saw one of your articles, how do I start this? So we began a conversation about how he, one individual, could take the first steps in connecting with others who have similar interests in his organization, getting support from leaders in the organization, because there are protocols and and practices that need to be respected in order to have the support from leadership that you need to do these things. And he's been very successful, but it started with one individual, and he's in a very large organization, and it's just that passion that I want to help someone, I want to give back, And this is where I spend a large part of my time in the company of my coworkers 
What can I do to let my voice be heard, let people know that I'm here and begin to provide support beyond myself for others who have shared interests or needs or just questions? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, him having the courage to put his voice out there may really help somebody else. I, I'm thinking all of all the people who may be struggling with a substance and maybe they're sober curious, you know, they're yes. not ready to jump in, but here's a voice that says something that, yes. Hey, I'm in recovery. I'm, I've struggled with this issue. Mm-hmm. You're not, a, you're not alone. Talk about it. Right. And you know, there are systems already in existence in the workplace that just need to be expanded. And that's why I talk about the umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're including so many other groups and causes and initiatives. Let's expand it to include some of these mental behavioral health topics, people in recovery, those types of things. There are also wellness programs in most companies. They have wellness program initiatives, and they'll talk about smoking and weight management and diabetes and heart disease and, you know, those types of things. Those programs largely don't go near the subject of substance use disorder, addiction, recovery, and rightly so, perhaps, because those folks who run those programs may lack the, the knowledge or, or the skill to talk about these topics safely. So you don't want to open the door for something you're not prepared to embrace. But there is an increasing awareness by the health and wellness and employee benefit brokers, and they're looking to complement their existing programs and expand the offerings through those programs to include partnerships with organizations like mine who are able to provide individuals with that expertise and that training and those certifications to come in as a partner through collaborative efforts to help with take the baby step. Let's do a lunch and learn and let's just put some things out there and see what kind of interest we get in response to those types of things. So we're having very great success with those types of initiatives. Health and wellness coaches, benefit brokers are very interested, which they're part of the HR team, right? So it doesn't all fall on the human resources department to facilitate these activities, but it's the collaborative effort of the individual who is a champion or an ally who takes the first step who will, is willing to reach out and connect with community service providers and others just to come in with education programs. And the goal is to, on the, there's two sides to the coin under substance use, mis- misuse and addiction. There's the treatment side. People get into treatment when they're really desperately in need of support and services. We're all about prevention. We're about using awareness and education programs as a tool of prevention to help proactively, proactively support people before they have a need for critical, clinical, formal treatment services and protocols. Right. So by 
providing some of this stuff up front, you may help someone steer clear of having to go to that critical care and, and maybe a higher level of care where they have to go to inpatient treatment or detox or or something like that. Trying to help people like like the sober curious, someone who's like, you know, I, yeah, this is probably not good for me and yeah. I probably should cut down and, and, and get them support. And they can do that easily without too much risk. Uh, this mm-hmm. is what this is what's kind of coming to my mind. And, and one of my questions is how are employees protected if they are struggling with this? Because on one level, it's like we want to talk about it. And then mm-hmm. on another level, it puts my job at risk. I don't want to mm-hmm. talk about it. How mm-hmm. do you create like a safe environment where the person who's struggling can get help or get support? Well, that's a very important question. And it's a real practical question because so many people, I'm an HR practitioner and professional, and we're not always the people that folks are comfortable to come to with these issues. So by bringing in external partners to come in and do education, at least we do this. We provide a workaround, if you will. We provide contact information and resources that an individual can discreetly and privately reach out and connect with either the facilitator that may be supporting the education program or through professional recovery coaches who we happen to train and certify. But there are resources available outside of the gotta report to HR network And that's why the partnership and the collaboration is so essential. So the programs that we propose are sanctioned, approved by the company, if you will, but they, through partnership, access resources because, for example, they already have EAP service providers with whom they have a relationship. They already have benefit organizations that provide treatment services. But guess what? And this is terrible. Since COVID, those resources are overwhelmed. There are not enough treatment beds. Only about 10% of people who need treatment can actually access treatment. So the entire system is trying to find ways to support hurting employees with new technology. So that's why coaching and technology solutions to connect individuals with other resources without having to go through the HR department, if you will, are growing in popularity. We just want people to know that they exist so that they can circumvent that scary HR department, but the company itself has sanctioned and opened up the door for these partnerships to provide help proactively for people. And you mentioned Sober Curious. I'm so glad that you did. Sometimes there's a stigma, just like there's these negative impressions of people that use to excess. In some organizational cultures, there's a equal discrimination or stigma against people who don't consume alcoholic beverages at all at company-sponsored events. Let's keep it real. One of the things with the great resignation and remote work, I've read articles where some companies are bringing the bar into the workplace 
as a way to entice the employees to come back to work. We have happy hour every afternoon in the workplace at five. Come join us. So there are individuals. (laughs) Yeah, Forbes magazine had an article about that. There are individuals and I hear from them for many reasons choose not. They may be in recovery. They may be have medical reasons, health reasons, maybe pregnant, whatever. They're for religious reasons. They may choose not to consume certain chemicals, if you will. But it's part of the culture of the company. So again, it, there's a stigma for pe- and a challenge for people in recovery sometimes to maintain right. their long-term recovery without being stigmatized because they want or choose not to consume. So these education programs, we try to just try to say, let's talk about my little hashtag is let's talk about this. Let's just talk about it and, and hear from one another different perspectives and we all grow together and learn when we do that. So that's that's as complicated as it gets yeah no i think that's really well said because i know working with people that struggled with addiction one of the issues is is you know i i'm now working to get sober i'm working not to drink alcohol has been a real problem in my life and i'm trying not to to do that how do i handle this company event that i have to go to where drinking has always been a big part of it. And all of my peers and work peers expect me to partake in that culture. And I don't know how to handle that. How do I do? How do I deal with that? And that's an issue that we face. And it's easy to just say, oh, well, just tell them you're not drinking. But when there's all that pressure there, and they're trying to get sober themselves, they don't want to drink. It's they're already struggling with 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 an addiction that their body's saying, drink, drink, drink. And mm-hmm. now they got to go to this party where they have to yes. defend not drinking. And right. it can be really, really challenging. So that's why I'm approaching this and many others. I am not alone. But this is a workplace culture issue. Workplace culture. We try to create workplace cultures that help produce high-performing organizations. At the end of the day, in the workplace, it's about the bottom line. So we, through education, help uh, the company understand the impact of these things on the workplace and the bottom line and the quality of service and the performance and the production. But all of these things are so fascinating. They're the younger generation and the new cool thing now is let's talk about empathy in the workplace. People want to know that you care. A big part of this great resignation is I'm not going to work for a company that doesn't care about me or appreciate me. So yeah. there's a lot of focus on empathy. Empathy impacts the bottom line. So if we, and there are quantitative studies out there that can prove that. So we can provide data for the C-suite that's looking at ROI we can prove the bottom line impact of changing the workplace culture to support some of these issues. We can, it, it is quantifiable. So that is attractive to the C-suite. The HR folks, the compliance, the safety, the risk managers, 
They're just concerned about compliance and safety and those types of things. These initiatives address those as well, because when people have knowledge, they will do things to alter behavior if the behavior is not safe or healthy. And then you have the individuals who are navigating this as part of their life experience who can reach out and connect with others of like mind in the workplace through some of these organized systems, groups, as, as if you choose to call them that, but they can come together and share best practices. Well, this is what I say when I'm faced with that situation. So it's about formalizing and providing a framework, if you will, that can look different from company A than it does to company B, because every company is different, every workplace culture is different. But as you learn about these things, you can pick what works best for you and your organization, and there is help available to help you put more structure and a greater framework and accountability and protocol. All of that is a part of this but it begins with letting people know that these things are even possible. And yes, they are. So many companies are starting to embrace this at all levels, at the C-suite, at the manager level, and on the grassroots, if you will, the folks in the trenches. So we, we're connecting at all three levels. And it's never been more important. I'll say this and and. You know, I tend to kind of get on a little soapbox. But every time I turn on the TV now, there's something about fentanyl. And there's something yeah. about rainbow fentanyl and the kids. So parents yeah. in the workplace, yes, we may be a, a dealing with our own substance misuse or recovery. Or we have family members. About one in four individuals in the workplace has a family member who struggles yeah. with substance use disorder. And if you look at the general population, it's one in two. Every About 50% of everybody knows somebody. But what terrifies me is what's happening to the kids. And so if the only place a parent can learn about this is in the workplace, then let's bring more of that awareness and education into the workplace so the parents can be better equipped not only to perform and, you know, produce what they're responsible to produce in the workplace, but then they can go home and help their their family, their friends, and others with the knowledge and the information that they're gaining from these programs. Yeah, and I, I can see, you know, it's it like you were saying, it's it's important to have a workplace that is meaningful and and you for all of us, right, that we feel good at at what we're doing, we feel supported. But then I, I didn't even think about that, how this information doesn't just impact the workplace. I mean, yeah, I am just thinking as a parent myself, thinking about, you know, your kids. And if you have this information available, especially with the opioid crisis and, and fentanyl and being able to have more resources. So a parent who may not even be struggling with anything gets this information. Now they have this information they can get to their kids or a loved one that needs it and mm -hmm. spread this information everywhere. And it, and it's a, I mean, the craziness of it, like you said, the statistics are mind boggling about addiction in our community. I mean, it's really everywhere anyway. It's all over the place. We all know people who 
are struggling with addiction, if not struggling with addiction ourselves. And yeah, I'm going to jump on the soapbox with you because I'm passionate. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, this podcast exists, right? Is to get this information out there so people have access to it. So I'm I'm right there with you in your passion for sharing this information and and getting it out to people and making our society more open to all of these inclusion issues and and bringing it to so many people because it's going to help everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And the workplace is changing. I mean, it just is never going to be what it was before the pandemic. And substance use disorder, the mental health and behavioral health issues, the numbers that we have are terrifying. And the numbers are lagging indicators, meaning that we're just seeing the top of the iceberg, if you will, and what is underneath and what is coming is so much worse than what we've seen. And what we've seen is terribly alarming. So again, this is about equipping people with the knowledge that they need in some ways to help themselves. One quick thing I, I ran in my research, I ran across a letter from the American Hospital Association that was written to the Ways and Means Committee of the U.S. Congress. And this was written back in February of this year. And they said between now and 2030, there is a critical shortage of the workforce in the healthcare industry. There are not enough physicians. There are not enough nurses, and they included behavioral health practitioners in that study. There are not enough caregivers to meet the critical need, in, in my terminology, the treatment service providers, and and that's before really you realize before COVID, the statistic was only one in 10 individuals who needed treatment was able to access treatment. So now we're beyond that one in 10. So there's less. Many people don't have benefits. Many, I mean, there's just so much yeah. going on with that EAP. So how can we extend the workforce? How can we empower and equip people on the front lines who care, have enough empathy to want to reach out and help someone that's drowning, that's suffering, that throw them a life preserver. And the life preserver, if it's, I know of some community resources, how did you find out about them? Someone at my job told me about a program in our community that we can reach out and connect with. That is so powerful. And yes, it's not no longer optional that we do these things in the workplace. The workforce is now demanding the partnership between the employer and the employee to provide them with access to resources internally and externally to the organization. So to me, it's just a best practice that we want to create and continue to expand through education and training and conversations, Dwayne, like we're having today. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, I was excited to talk to you about this because I didn't really think about the workplace as a place where this kind of information could get disseminated and could create support and 
could create a place for people to find some level of healing or at least get on that healing journey. So I think that's amazing. I'm, I'm so excited that you're sharing it. So we are getting to our time. So I always ask one question at the end of the podcast, and it's like, if maybe someone out there is listening, maybe it's a owner of a company or it's a manager at a company and you could tell them one thing, what what would you want to tell them? What would you want to say? What would be your message? My message is that they become approachable and open to explore the possibilities of doing more around this subject because it's always there. It's under the surface. And what some of our program participants have said to me, I see these people every day, but I, after learning about this subject, I don't view them the same way. I now look at them and listen to them more carefully to see what is this person struggling with? What challenges are they facing that they need help with that before it never crossed my mind to even ask that question? So if you are in a position of leadership and influence with folks beneath you or beside you or anywhere in your in your circle of influence, open your eyes and ears and begin to pay attention to them and then care enough about them the humanity that we do have in common, regardless of race, religion, national origin, color, sex, gender, socioeconomic class, status, gender, whatever, care enough about hurting people to ask the question, what can we do to help you? We care. We value you. We want to walk beside you and support you and create safety so that you know that we care and are able to ask for help. And if we can do that, we can save lives. If you save one life, you save a family, you save a workplace, you save a community, you impact future generations. It's the ripple effect on the pond, one plop, and it ripples. That's what this is. One person can can make a difference and save lives. And we've all just got to get together around that and i'm here to help and i know you are too and those who <laughs> absolutely <you. laughs> and you're also the co-founder vice president and executive director of the international center for addiction and recovery education i care yep. tell us just briefly about that because if people want more information they can right. they can definitely go there but tell us a little bit about that so iCare has existed for more than 26 years as a training and certification provider for folks who work in clinical services, substance use disorder, addiction, and recovery. We also have a division that provides training and certification for folks who may be in recovery or not, but they want to be certified professional recovery coaches. There's an entire coaching industry that people are a part of, but there's a specialty called professional recovery coaching that we train and certify folks to begin a new journey and walk into that 
to provide support. We train facilitators to do these education programs. And since COVID, we're going where we've never gone before into the workplace in partnership with so many wonderful organizations, you know, the Society for Human Resource Management, the National Wellness Institute, and many others. But I Care has trained more than 40,000 people in 40 nations around the world. We have students literally this morning in a class from Pakistan and from Canada. I have French Canadians, people from France. They're really, this issue crosses every nationality, every socioeconomic group. And we are a center of excellence where people can come and partner with people of like mind to get the training and the certification that they need that allows, equips them to go and save lives, whether you're a clinical professional or non-clinical person, and you just, I've got soccer moms that go through my program. So we can reach you where you are, support you where you are to achieve your goals but at the end of the day, we're all about saving lives and making an impact. And that's who I care is. I care-aware.org, 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're changing the world. And we'd love to have folks join us in that journey. Wow, Cheryl. Your, your passion for this is just amazing. And without a doubt, I know you are saving lives out there and and I can just I can feel it through your passion of of sharing your commitment to this to this work to helping people out there. I love what you're saying. I love your message. I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com so check them out there. And Cheryl, thank you so much for just coming on and and getting through all the technical issues that we had <laughs> and being patient with that and sticking around and, and doing the interview. So I appreciate that. Just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Well, I appreciate the work that you do and I honor the work that you're doing and I'm always available to support you and your community. We, we recover in community and we do this work together in community. So I'm delighted to be part of your network and your community now. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. All of Cheryl Brown Merriweather's links will be at theaddictedmind.com as usual. So check them out. And a little favor, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend write a review. One of those things, great. It helps get the podcast a lot of exposure. I really appreciate it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addictive Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. 
everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.